Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. This month marks 47 years in prison for Leonard Peltier. There's renewed efforts to win his release, whether it's a presidential decision on clemency or through compassionate release. The ailing 78-year-old Peltier has considerable support, especially among fellow Native Americans and others, like the UN on the international stage. At the same time, there is serious resistance to any leniency for a man convicted of murdering two federal agents. Today, we'll go over the current case against Peltier and hopes for a change in his status. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Indigenous people and their allies held events Tuesday in Canada to honor the memory of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Dan Karpinchuk reports on the annual Strawberry Ceremony. A couple of hundred people gathered in downtown Toronto Tuesday in front of police headquarters. Many of them told stories about families that have lost loved ones. During the ceremony, people were given a cup of water and a strawberry to hold. When cut in half, the strawberries look like a heart. Organizers say the strawberries are part of the memorial because it's a woman's fruit and a symbol of hope and rebirth. Organizers say the gathering in Toronto has been taking place for the past 18 years, adding that it's an opportunity to gather as a community to pray for loved ones lost to violence. Joey Twin is an Indigenous activist. My mom was murdered when I was six years old in Calgary, Alberta, 59 years ago, and no justice was served for her murder. And so it's been going on for, um, for many years, our Indigenous folks, you know, getting murdered, missing and murdered. And our nations aren't greedy, our Indigenous nations. We're just asking for the equality, for the justice for us. Because in this day and age, there's two laws, one for the white man and one for us Indians. The ceremony has been taking place outside police headquarters because of what organizers call state complicity in the murders of Indigenous women, because of police inaction and even as perpetrators of the violence. The ceremony comes as violence against Indigenous women continues. Last year, four women in Winnipeg were murdered. In its final report, the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls labeled the violence as genocide. The annual ceremony is hosted by No More Silence, a group dedicated to gathering the names of those missing and murdered since 2004. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. An event to honor missing and murdered Indigenous people was held Tuesday in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It included a march and rally where advocates talked about raising awareness of MMIP and work being done to address the issue, including at the state level. State Senator Mary Kunish has been a strong advocate. She helped establish a Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Task Force and a Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives Office. In remarks, Kunish vowed to continue efforts as a Native lawmaker. We will continue working at the legislature because, yes, representation matters. The event was live-streamed by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition, which sponsored the event along with a handful of other Native groups. This was the first in-person event in three years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Members of the Apache Stronghold, a grassroots group fighting to save a sacred site, are planning a march and other events this week. They're opposed to a mining project slated for Oak Flat in Arizona. Alex Gonzalez has more. Resolution Copper is a joint venture by Rio Tinto and BHP. Both organizations say the mine will bring thousands of jobs to the area. 
But Vanessa Nosey with the Apache Stronghold says Oak Flat is ancestral and sacred land. She believes the project would destroy the land and their way of life. Nosey says as a mother of four girls, she feels it's her job to protect them and their culture. If Oak Flat is gone, I can't pass that on. And who we are spiritually, we'd be gone forever. It's the same tactic that the United States government has always used on Indian people. The protest events begin this Thursday. The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals hears an appeal next month that seeks to prohibit the transfer of sacred tribal lands with Oak Flat at the center of the controversy. The land transfer to Resolution Copper was part of the 2014 National Defense Authorization Act. Apache Stronghold has argued that it violated the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Leonard Peltier was arrested 47 years ago this month in connection with the murder of two FBI agents on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. His supporters are steadfast in finding a means to free the 78-year-old Ojibwe man so he can live out the remainder of his life with his loved ones. In an interview with The Guardian earlier this month, Peltier said if he were free, he would build a home on his tribal land, help build the economies of Native nations, and give a home to homeless Native children. In the time he has spent behind bars, Peltier has been portrayed as a political prisoner, an innocent man in the wrong place at the wrong time, or a murderous thug, depending on who you ask. About the only fact that most people agree on is Peltier was present during the shootout in which FBI agents Jack Kohler and Ronald Williams were first wounded, then shot, and killed at close range. Do you follow the Peltier case? You can give us a call at one 800 996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. We want to put out a reminder that emotions run high on this topic. If you're calling in, we ask that you be respectful and as concise as possible. There are volumes written about the details of this case, and there is no way for us to cover all the facts in the one hour we have today. It is possible you will hear something you think is wrong or inaccurate or misleading. Keep in mind, it may not be possible to address all of the issues to your satisfaction during the hour, but we'll do our best to be fair to all viewpoints. Joining us now from Fargo, North Dakota is Ruth Buffalo. She's a former North Dakota state representative, the first Native American woman elected to that legislature. She's an enrolled citizen of the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara Nation. Ruth, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi, Dosha. Thank you for having me. 
And joining us from Nashville, Tennessee is Kevin Sharp. He is a former federal district court judge and pro bono counsel for Leonard Peltier's clemency petition. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for inviting me, Sean. And joining us from the Lacoudere Ojibwe Reservation in Wisconsin is Paul DeMaine. He's a journalist and former editor of news from Indian Country. He's a citizen of the United Nation of Wisconsin and an Ojibwe descendant. Paul, welcome back to NAC as well. Thank you. Ruth, I'd like to begin with you. You've been in recent contact with Leonard Peltier. You visited him in prison last month. What are you comfortable sharing about that meeting? How is he doing? What are his spirits like? Yeah, um, so yeah, I've, I've seen him a couple times, um, five visits total, um, a couple weekends ago. Uh, and then prior to that, the New Year's Eve weekend. Um, he's very frail, elderly man in very poor health conditions, and um, he doesn't he doesn't need to be where he's at. Federal maximum security prison, Coleman One in uh, Florida, and we would very much want him back here in North Dakota. I'm actually calling in from across the street from the federal courthouse where the actual hearing was held back in 1976. Now, how did you first begin conversing with Leonard Peltier, Ruth? Um, he called me about a year ago and thanked me for the work that we were doing um, on the ground here in North Dakota um, as a state legislature at that time. Um, we were able to get a number of letters and resolutions passed through the different networks that uh, we are members of. Uh -huh. And what do you hope you can accomplish now when it comes to his incarceration? We hope that, you know, we can get freedom for our native elder who is very fragile, very elderly, very in poor health right now. Um, some of the work that we've done in the past is get resolutions passed for clemency, ask calling on President Biden for executive clemency for our elder Leonard Peltier, um, the National Caucus of Native American State Legislators, membership of 25 plus have issued letters and, and resolutions. Um, also the, the Democratic Nonpartisan League Party here in North Dakota has included it in our party platform, calling on clemency for Leonard. Um, also the DNC passed a resolution uh, last September of 2022, urging Bi President Biden for clemency. Um, so we're continuing to put public pressure um, from wherever we can, but really calling on the hearts and minds of, of everyone around the globe, not to mention the unprecedented support that Leonard has right now. Um, given his age of being 78 years old, we know as Native people we have very low life expectancies, uh, a plethora of health disparities and chronic illnesses, and uh, we're just very concerned that Leonard is going to die in prison. And speaking of those health issues and, and his age as well, there's also this issue of compassionate release, and, and there's an effort with that as well. And um, that's different from a pardon or a clemency, as um, the partners that you are talking about are, are working for. Uh, what's the difference there for our listeners? How, do, how would that work, a, a compassionate release as opposed to clemency? Well, I think I'll, I'll save that for his lawyer, um, but what I will say is that we know there are still great disparities within the criminal justice system. We know that there have been 
many Native American elders uh, incarcerated unjustly who were denied compassionate release even during the pandemic. So more needs to be done here in looking at the inequities, the disparities within our criminal justice system. Okay. Now, Ruth, we do want to mention, you know, Peltier has a checkered history. He stood up for Native rights at a critical time, yes, but but he did seem to get into trouble before and after that. He fled a warrant for attempted murder. He escaped from jail. He reportedly treated women within AIM poorly. He, he does admit to shooting at the FBI agents who were killed. He's implicated, at least in court testimony, in the murder of Anna Mae Aquash. What's the significance of these events? Should we just take them as, as part of who Leonard Peltier is, or do you think they're mostly smear tactics by the government and critics that can all be explained away? I think definitely we do have to look at things through a comprehensive lens and we do have to do our research and we also have to examine who is the source of this information. And we also have to look at the unfortunate long-standing history of the inaccuracies within the federal government towards the first peoples of these lands. In fact, it's actually a textbook for sharing false information um, that runs prevalent today, unfortunately. So it's unfortunate, but again, we have to know exactly who the source is, are they valid, are they factual, and again, look at things through a critical, comprehensive lens, because ultimately, a lot of the systems that have been put in place from decades ago to terminate us as Native people from this continent, from the face of this earth, are still in place today, are still very strong, one being divide and conquer, unfortunately. Well, I'm glad you mentioned research because that's certainly something that we want to uh, stress here on the show today so folks can get information for themselves uh, after the conversation as well. And I want to ask you, I mean, where can people go and get uh, good, objective, well-written, well-sourced information on Leonard Peltier, especially listeners such as yourself uh, who maybe were born after Wounded Knee and, and have no direct memory of these incidents? Well, I think, you know, in the day, of, day and age of technology, first and foremost, following Federal Judge Sharp on Twitter, that is his, his counsel, legal counsel, his lawyer. Um, there's also links there that can connect you to his International Defense Committee, Leonard's International Defense Committee. Um, so there's information out there, but I would first and foremost recommend everybody follow uh, Federal Judge Sharp on Twitter. All right. And with that, Ruth, let's go ahead and bring uh, Kevin into the conversation now. Kevin, as we mentioned, you are the legal counsel working for clemency for Leonard Peltier. Where is that effort right now? Uh, he filed a petition for a pardon earlier this month. Uh, no, actually, we filed. Thanks, thanks for uh, throwing it over to me. Actually, we filed the petition back in uh, July of 2021. Um, so it's been pending for quite a while. It's interesting. Normally, petitions uh, go through the pardon attorney's office, take about eight to ten months. Um, you know, we're we're a little over a year and a half now, um, and it still sits there. So, um, you know, you you'd asked a question earlier. I'll, I'll step back just so that people can understand how this works. There's compassionate release, which is primarily driven by the Bureau of Prisons, and then there's clemency, which which encompasses pardons and sentence reductions, right? So that clemency is that umbrella. Compassionate release is, a, is the ability, it's, it's in the BOP, Bureau of Prisons, 
authority to release certain prisoners based on their conditions um, or their criteria, some of those are, are health-related conditions. Under the First Step Act, which Trump signed back in December of 2018, so prior to that, if the BOP denied your request for compassionate release, that was just it. There was nowhere else to go. They had full control over that. After the First Step Act, you could then appeal those to the district court in that jurisdiction. Um, the First Step Act created that ability but did not give that to what are called old law prisoners. And, and those are prisoners who were uh, sentenced before parole was abolished in the federal system. So that means they cannot appeal those, which Leonard falls into that category. So I have filed that request at least three times. Each one has been denied, and there's no appeal for that, and there's no explanation as to why they would deny it. So we've got that going. And then on the pardon attorney side, we have the petition that we filed back in 2021. We actually refiled it. We had filed it initially, or I had. They're, they're, they've been filed over the decades. I had initially filed it under the Trump administration. They had a different way of doing things where you just went directly to the White House and went around uh, the Department okay. of Justice. Kevin, thank you for that clarification. Today's topic, Leonard Peltier. Anybody with a question, anybody with an insight to offer for this conversation, our phone lines are open now. 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. More with Kevin Sharp and our other guests after this break. Viral video of an Arizona gallery owner's offensive outbursts against Native American dancers sparked questions about perceived inequities. There's a long history of retailers exploiting Native talent for their own gain. How do you know if you're buying jewelry or artwork from a fair and ethical dealer? We'll find out in the next Native America Calling. Bonjour. Think teeth. Medicaid and CHIP cover many children's dental services, including teeth cleanings, fluoride treatments, and fillings. For more information about children's dental health, contact your Indian health care provider, visit insurekidsnow.gov, or call 877-543-7669. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for tuning in today to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're checking in on the ongoing effort to win freedom for Leonard Peltier. Our number is 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the line now is Kevin Sharp, pro bono counsel for Leonard Peltier. Kevin, what prompted you to take up uh, Peltier's case? You know, it really is, it's, it's my background in the law and, and as a public servant, really, because uh, on three different occasions in my life, I had taken, on, uh, taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. I did it when I joined the military. I did it when I became an attorney. You, when you're sworn in, you take that oath. And then when I took the federal bench, I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And after I stepped down from the bench, which I did um, in, in 
part, large part because of my issues I had with the criminal justice system and how it worked or didn't work. And I had to sentence a young man for a nonviolent drug offense to two life um, sentences, right? Life in prison on a nonviolent drug offense. I stepped down and I started working uh, with another lawyer out of Texas on his clemency. And ultimately, he was granted clemency and got out. And that story that involved Kim Kardashian um, and the Trump administration, um, you know, Kim was the story, not me, but, but, you know, there's always this mention, and oh, yeah, there was a, a judge with her at these, at these meetings, um, <laughs> prompted someone affiliated, right, uh, prompted someone affiliated with Leonard's cause to send me the file. And I, I was not familiar with Leonard's case, right? I was, I was a 12-year-old boy living in Memphis when these events happened and really didn't know much about it. And, and as everybody, all the listeners will be aware that Native American history is not taught uh, by and large in this country. And when it is, it's, it's a lot of misinformation. So I was completely unaware of all of this. And then, so I get this file that ends up on my desk and I just start going through it. Now I've only been off the bench at this point about a year and a half. And so I have no preconceived notion of what this thing is about, who these people are, uh, what happened. I just start reading and what jumps out at me are the constitutional violations. And they are so clear as I'm going through the, through his trial and the investigation in this case, that I'm really just floored. And I'm looking at it objectively, not as someone who's going to take this case on, just as a former judge reading through it. And that so disturbs me that I then contact, get in contact with Leonard and say, if you would like me to help, I want to do that and I'll do it pro bono. So, you know, that's how I ended up here. You know, some of those things you, you mentioned earlier, and I do want to go back to this, that he's got a checkered history. You know, that's, that's, it's not accurate. Um, you know, what, what you do is have to place these things in context. Okay. You said he fled uh, uh, a charge, uh, an attempted murder charge in Milwaukee. But, but what you didn't add was he was set up for that, right? He didn't okay. Okay. attempt I'm sorry, to murder Kevin. anyone. I, I, yeah. Okay. And I don't, okay. Let, let me just, okay. Cause all of Peltier's arguments up to this point, okay, and let's argue the other side. He was denied a fair trial. Witnesses were coerced. Evidence was manufactured or at least mishandled. That the government's original case switched course. That Peltier's a scapegoat in a case in which three other defendants got off. All of that stuff has been denied on appeal. And we've heard all of those arguments over and over and again. And at this point, Leonard Peltier has had better opportunities to make his case than most defendants. Now, here you are, a former federal judge. If Peltier is innocent after all of that, what do we make of the American legal system? Well, well, to go back, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure you meant to say what you said. The, the. I just want to clarify this: the coerced witnesses, the manufactured evidence, the hidden exculpatory evidence. That hasn't been denied. The courts have said those things happened, right? What were denied was his appeal to overturn his conviction and get a new trial, and that's very different. If, that, if this happened today, there's no question. He gets a new trial, mm -hmm. right? The witnesses were coerced. 
there was there were at least two opportunities where what is known as Brady evidence, it's, it's evidence that's exculpatory, was withheld, right? And what we know is, you know, how do I know what happened in this case? I get a lot of this from the prosecutors. The assistant U.S. attorney on the case in the appeal transcript said our evidence against Peltier was sketchy. That's his words, not mine. Right. He right. said okay. in these same transcripts, we don't know who shot these agents. Okay. That's his words, so, Kevin, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, one I, mean, I appreciate. Okay. Okay. Please, yeah, just one more point, because I just want to ask that question about the American legal system. If all of all of this stuff is is wrong, that, then what does that say about our legal system? If all of this information that that we hear about every day is incorrect, as you're describing today, yeah, it 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 is. You know, I I feel the way I do. I heard you know in the news story before there was a woman talking who said there's two laws, one for white men and one for us. There is another system. Right. This system is so flawed. It's so flawed. And that's why we've got to be vigilant. That's why Leonard Peltier's case becomes so important that it's not just about one man. It's about the Constitution. And when these things happen, right, if someone can be convicted like this, if the means justify the end, if an institution like the U.S. Attorney's Office or the FBI are allowed to break the laws to get to an end result, then what does any of this mean, right? And they were. If mm-hmm. this happened today, if this happened right. today, these guys would lose their law license. You can't do that today. They get disciplined, okay. and prosecutors are being disciplined today for doing exactly what they did. Lynn Crooks, the assistant U.S. attorney, said in an interview, our theory, obviously – these are his words. Our theory, obviously, was that he shot these agents. We didn't prove that, and we knew we hadn't proven that. Okay. So we have, and the facts are that two FBI agents were killed. And I just want to ask you, who should be behind bars for that? Who should that person be? Well, it should not be Leonard Peltier. It should be whoever committed a crime. But, but... As Len Crook said, as the assistant U.S. attorney said, we didn't prove it was Len. We knew we hadn't proven that. Mm-hmm. So should somebody be behind bars for it? You know, go find out who did it. Someone asked me, well, who did it? I said, hell, I don't know. That the, the U.S. government has been on this case for 50 years, and they tell you they don't know. But we do know who it wasn't. We know it wasn't Leonard. And you've got your 48 years, going into 48 years uh, of your pound of flesh. It's time to end this. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin, for all those insights. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, I bring our third guest back into the conversation now, Paul Domain. Paul, you've invested a, a lot of time and a lot of energy researching Leonard Peltier's case, and your assessment of his guilt has changed over the years. Where are you at now? Well, I, I'd like to say this, that I'm a 67-year-old retired investigative journalist and publisher who's looked at this case uh, since 1975, when I was in high school, and I started collecting a full set of Akwesasne notes, and uh, Wounded Knee came along, and the murder of two FBI agents was in news everywhere, and I was interested in it, and I looked into it. A few years later, I started a newspaper, became the president of the Native American Journalists Association, 
We spent maybe 100 uh, articles, uh, 120 articles in our newspaper over the course of 20 years up until 1994. We passed major resolutions on freedom of information uh, with the Native American Journalists Association and Unity Coalition. We called for a truth commission similar to South Africa's work uh, to get, try to get both people at the tables, both the American Indian Movement and FBI, uh, because in some ways they both operate uh, very in interesting ways similar during this period. And it was during this time in 1994, during the height of discord amongst uh, the American Indian Movement and several factions, fingers pointing uh, from the leaders uh, over uh, drug dealing, infiltrators, uh, leadership questions, accountability, including accusations of internal murders, murders within their organization. And that led to a huge rally in the Twin Cities. And this is where we started in 1994 because National AIM called for this meeting and I, Minnie Two Shoes, a longtime member of uh, AIM who gave birth to her children at Go Dogs Paradise uh, during Wounded Knee 73 and Yakima Nation investigative journalist Richard LaCourse who went in and covered Wounded Knee and the Jumping Bull Compound shootout for the William Randolph newspaper chain, went to the cities. Belcourt was asked a difficult question about why they weren't doing more for anime and Leonard Peltier. And after trying a few responses that didn't resonate with the crowd, he turned to me, Richard, and uh, many two-shoes and said, if our best journalists in this country don't care about Leonard Peltier and anime, what are we supposed to do? And that's when we started our work. We put a team of 13 uh, native journalists together through NAJA. There ended up four or five of us at the end 10 years later. But we've reviewed 10,000 you know, 100,000 documents, VHS videos, conducted interviews and everything. So none of us are virgins. None of us were virgins, and it wasn't just me. It was a team of journalists who did many, many interviews. What we found out that time is, is we were never working with a puzzle that had missing pieces. What we were working with was a puzzle that had, if we had a 1,000-piece puzzle, we had 1,400 pieces, and we had to eliminate the lies and the smoke screen and, and, the, and the mirrors that were going on by members of the American Indian Movement about what happened to that day. Richard LaCourse's first task in 1995 and 6 was to take everything that Leonard Peltier had ever said about the case and to review it. And within a couple months, he came up and said, he's a liar. And the reason he said that is, is because you can't have four or five different alibis about what happened on that particular day. It does not work. And Richard said, this does not work. It tells me something about why the answer to who shot the agents uh, can't be found because there is all this smoke and mirrors around the group there on June 26, 1975 that took place. Ceremonies where they agreed they would not tell on each other. And yet, after this massive period of time, 40 or 50 years, we're still asking questions. And the question really is, and Richard LaCourse kind of declared the situation, Peltier's biggest problem is Leonard Peltier. And so when we look at what is said and done that day, there are a lot of keys, including Peter Mathiasen's book. You know, he was a CIA agent, was exposed, his responsibility was to track the money from the Soviet Union into Europe, into the American Indian Movement, and so forth. There's a lot of information in there, and it's interesting how close to the truth Peter Mathiasen comes at one point. I don't quite understand his role as a former CIA agent and the book and all that, what he was trying to accomplish in all of that. 
but there are plenty of information. And so a couple things emerged since then as well that were significant. In 1994, Attorney Lee Hill, who I've worked with in the past, along with Mike Kuzma and Barry Backrack and several other Peltier attorneys on freedom of information, I work with them today because my sense of things is justice and the truth. That's what we're trying to seek in this whole thing. And the 1994 uh, Lee Hill uh, interviews that showed up are kind of significant, and they were being reviewed by Richard LaCourse as part of that uh, book writing project separately from our project. But Keltier says, let me say this much. He'll ask, would you say you did it to get out? And Peltier's answer on the cassette tape that's recorded in transcript is, if I got the approval from my chief, my leaders back home on the reservation, traditional leaders, yeah. If they said yes, do it so I can get out of prison, yeah, I probably would do it. Then the case okay. is closed and X never has to worry about it. And then there's okay. the Okay. And Paul, I'm sorry, we, we do have to move this show along because we have callers, we have other, you know, we have guests as, as well. And I, I just want to comment here because I, I know you were sued by, by Leonard Peltier for defamation. What can you tell us about that? I can tell you that that uh, was uh, sued. Uh, I was sued about a year before Kamuk Banks, who I was protecting in my editorial that day when I said, I've come to believe that Leonard Peltier is guilty of shooting the agents he was convicted of. I was sued for that statement because I was talking to Kamuk Nichols Banks at the time, and she was telling me that Leonard Peltier bragged to her about shooting the agents in the uh, Marlo Brando motorhome, along with her sister in Anna May. And Anna May was executed within 60 days or less. In fact, three weeks after that bragging took place in the Marlo Brando motorhome, Anna May was taken out and executed because members of the American Union thought she might become an informant or was an informant. Okay. And what was the result of that suit? Oh, the lawsuit was settled uh, after the New York Times article came out and quoted uh, Kamuka Banks. Very back, our Bob Rubidoux called me up from Spain and said, we want to negotiate a settlement. We can do it day because uh, Kamuka was uh, due to testify within a couple weeks in our Looking Clouds murder trial of anime Pictou Aquash. And they negotiated an agreement where I issued a statement that said that at that time, I had no evidence that directly tied Leonard Peltier to the murder execution of anime Pictou Aquash. So it's interesting they sued me for being a liar, but they wanted a letter disassociating Leonard Peltier from anime's murder. And at that particular okay. point, I knew someone had an interest in having that said about Leonard Peltier. Okay. Now we do have to take a break in about a couple of minutes, but we do have time for one caller. We have Nick listening online in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Nick, hello. Nick, are you there? Nick Estes, are you there? Yeah, yep, I'm here. Hey, thanks uh, so much for taking my call and for uh, having this conversation. You know, uh, I actually interviewed uh, Colleen Rowley, who is a former FBI agent, came, uh, who was close to uh, the Leonard Peltier case when she was stationed here at the Minneapolis field office in the 1990s. She was also uh, one of the you know legal counsel who handled uh, the FOIA requests, um, I'm sure coming from Mr. Domain and Peltier's uh, counsel at that time. And, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting about Colleen's story is how, you know, from the very beginning of her uh, training as an FBI agent, she was, you know, to quote her words, indoctrinated into the FBI's version of events that happened at the Ogola shootout. 
Um, and, you know, today there's, you know, we see the repercussions of this kind of, you know, uh, misinformation campaign. She herself has come out uh, in support of clemency for Leonard Peltier. Um, but it's also, you know, there's a larger demand to have more transparency from the FBI in terms of what it actually knows about um, the shooting and the surveillance of the American Indian movement. Um, you know, she called the FBI's, uh, you know, persecution of Leonard Peltier a, you know, half century long uh, FBI family vendetta. And, you know, the FBI family language actually comes from Chris Ray. Um, that's what, you know, FBI Director Chris Ray, that's actually what he, he calls the FBI um, in terms of, like, denouncing any kind of uh, clemency, uh, you know, for Leonard Peltier. So I want to ask um, uh, Ruth Buffalo and Kevin Sharp, you know, what what is there a broader movement right now to uh, really push for answers um, from the FBI and what it knows and why? Okay, all right. We're going to have to go to break, Nick. I'm sorry. Uh, We'll be right back, folks. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium, presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort in Tulsa, Oklahoma, June 26th to the 29th. Learn how tribes are using self-governance for the delivery of programs and services for their citizens and communities, and how this authority improves the health and well-being of tribal communities. Early bird registration closes February 25th at tribalselfgov.org. This is Native America Calling. Thank you for listening. I'm Sean Spruce. Do you have a comment about today's show or any show you've heard? You can reach out now or anytime. Just look for us on Facebook or Instagram or reach out to us on Twitter at one 800 native Before we went into our break, we had a caller, Nick Estes, and uh, Nick had a question regarding uh, a broader movement for transparency within the FBI as it relates to the Leonard Peltier case. And I know that question was directed specifically at our guests, Ruth and Kevin, and we are going to give them a chance to respond. But before we do that, we do have another caller on the line, uh, in- coincidentally, a former FBI agent. Uh, the name is Ed Woods, uh, and he runs the No Parole for Peltier Association. He's listening online. Hello, Ed. Hi, how are you? Doing well, Ed. What's your thought? Okay. Uh, to get back to Mr. Uh, uh, to, to Kevin's comments, um, uh, one quote from him was, constitutional violations were open and obvious. Well, if there was one constitutional violation in the Peltier case, we wouldn't be having that conversation today. But let's let's get back to the uh, the petition. I would love to see his current petition. I would wonder if um, he's he's added in the aiding and abetting issue that he's he's been beating quite a bit over the past uh, couple of years. <clears throat> the bottom line with with aiding and abetting, the government's position was that Leonard Peltier killed the agents. He was also guilty of aiding and abetting, and and Kevin has has fought that back. But Leonard Peltier himself has admitted to the aiding and abetting portion of it. In his petition on February 17, 2016, his clemency petition to the president, and I'll quote this, I did not wake up on that June 26 planning to injure or shoot federal agents and did not gain anything from participating in the incident end quote okay so okay the the aiding and abetting portion of it is 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 done 
The courts have been through this many times. Uh, Kevin's oath uh, statement, uh, I'm looking at a, a, a list here of 17 federal judges and 17 Peltier attorneys who have been through this case in unbelievable detail. So you mean to tell me okay. that they've all missed constitutional violations against Leonard Peltier or deliberately okay. avoided them? Ed, let me let me ask you this, because uh, obviously, you know, you are uh, no parole for Peltier Association. Your, your position here is very clear. Is there any information, Ed, any evidence or any argument that could sway you to change or even soften your stance against Leonard Peltier? I'm, I'm curious. No. And let me tell you why. Because this was an unprovoked attack. The agents were seriously wounded. They were still alive. Um, Ron Williams had defensive wounds. His fingers were blown through the back of his head. And then their bodies okay. Okay. were manhandled after death. So Okay, we got I, that. Okay, got that. Got I, that. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and um, I, I do want to go back. Ed, please stay on the line. Ed, please stay on the line. Um, but I do want to just have uh, Kevin respond there, please. Kevin, uh, unprovoked attack. We just heard from our caller, Ed Woods. What's your response to un the term well, unprovoked attack? Is that accurate? Well, it's not accurate, right? It's it's inconsistent with the evidence in this case. Okay. Right? That that there there began a shootout. Now we know Peltier wasn't part of that, but let me let me go back to another statement and, and circle back around. He he started uh, with, you know, name me one constitutional violation. I, I can start with one on day two. There was a Sixth Amendment violation to a fair and impartial jury when one of the jurors admitted she was prejudiced against Indians. Those were her words. And she admitted it. Now, that is a, is a violation of the Sixth Amendment right to a fair and impartial jury. So I think Mr. Woods would have to agree with me that if we start there, Let's have a new trial. And today, that would get you a new trial. And the problem okay. was that Leonard's attorneys didn't appeal that. And at that time, you could waive the issue. You can't waive that issue today. It's just ineffective assistance of counsel, and that issue alone gets you a new trial. Aiding and abetting, you know, the Court of Appeals, when they had to drop there, he was the principal shooter because they hid the evidence that showed they knew he wasn't the shooter. Uh, they okay. went with an aiding and abetting theory, and the Court of Appeals says, well, who did he aid and abet? And the assistant U.S. attorney says, I don't know, maybe himself. Okay, maybe okay. All right, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, and I, I want to ask Paul here because this, and this is the challenge with this topic. It's so polarizing. And Paul, you know, we always get these back and forth arguments. Well, there was this evidence. Well, there was this, and that was that. And well, you know, that was, that was, that wasn't accurate. And I mean, how do we get to the bottom of this, Paul? Because, you know, this has been going on now for 50 years. And, and it seems like we're just never really getting any, any broader consensus in terms of, of where we come. And I'm really thinking of us as native people in terms of just coming to some sort of, you know, and, and the notion of healing and where does this go? So help us out here. I mean, and how do we, we make light of all of these just completely polarizing positions and viewpoints? Well, first of all, I think that uh, I've, I've been told that Leonard Peltier has had more legal review of his cases than any other federal prison, prisoner in the history of the United States. And again, uh, I hear arguments about technicalities when my evidence is having interviewed two women 
who admitted that Peltier had bragged about shooting the agents in the Marlo Brando motorhome. And so mm-hmm. if there was a new trial, I would suspect both of those individuals, plus maybe uh, Anime's sisters, who Anime had called and in the Micmac language said she had saw Peltier shoot the agents, she was not at Jumping Bull Compound. And what that did was confirm the fact that there had been a bragging of some kind previous to Anime's execution. I wanted to say something about the FOIA stuff because we continue to work on that. The most recent FOIA request on the means and Belcourt files were denied by the FBI. And so the FBI has got a lot more to do in terms of uh, transparency. But I'm interested in where the CIA records on the American Indian Movement. I'm interested in where the Army records, the NC. Uh, okay. NFC, All right. The other foreign countries. Okay, Paul. I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna, we're we're running low on time. I do want to take another caller. Uh, we've got Bob listening in Daytona Beach, Florida, online. Hello, Bob. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call, Sean. And uh, thank everybody else for uh, being on this in- very interesting show. I wish you uh, didn't have a short enough time. You know, uh, I, Mr. Sharp. Um, you know, I've been reading the NoParolePeltier.com website, um, and you know, it's very. Uh, it's it, it, it's got a lot of information in there, um, but it, it basically it appears to be very factual with many documentary annotations. Now, since you have filed a request to free Leonard, does your petition contain factual information that might refute what the NPPA site lists? Okay, Kevin, I have, please respond. Yeah, yeah, I haven't been to that site. Uh, I don't know what they say. If it is consistent with the FBI's continued position, then it's just inaccurate, right? Director Ray's letter to the pardon attorney in opposition to clemency says in the first paragraph, it's undisputed Leonard Peltier shot these men. Well, that's ridiculous. Even the U.S. Attorney's Office that prosecuted the case doesn't say that. That position was abandoned decades ago, right? You got to go through this. I'm, I'm not here to solve any of this. I don't know what happened. Mr. DeMay says we've been at it 50 years and we have questions. What I know is going through the records that there were multiple uh, uh, incidences of misconduct by the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. There were several constitutional violations. There were evidentiary rulings that appear to be from someone okay. who made a lot of evidentiary rulings on the federal bench slanted so that the prosecutor got the upper edge. And what I'm here saying is the law has to matter. And if the law okay. doesn't matter, then let's stop talking about all this other stuff. If you want to take the position that the law doesn't matter, we got somebody, then let's stop talking about Mankato 38 because apparently the law doesn't matter. Of course it does. Of course it does. Okay, Kevin. Important. Okay. I want to go ahead and let Ed chime in as well. Now, Ed, uh, this website, No Parole for Peltier Association, and we've been talking a lot today about the importance of having good information with regard to this case. Where do you get your information for your website? Well, I, it, I, I get it all from uh, just 23 years of research on this case, um, more, more than, than Judge Sharp. And let me respond to his comment about, oh, first of all, I know he's been there at least because I send him emails every time I post a blog. Now, the issue of who fired the first shot, he said, we don't know. 
Well, let me let me quote Leonard Peltier and then give you okay. the reasons why okay. we know. Who and, and I'm sorry, I just, I just don't want to get too far into the weeds with, with, again, these back and forth arguments. What I would like to do, though, is circle back to Kevin. And, and originally, you know, we, we started talking about, about the petition for clemency. And, uh, and Kevin, you said currently, um, you know, there's no motion moving forward. But I mean, going forward, what do you think? Or what are the chances, really, uh, in Leonard's lifetime that he will be freed? What, what do you think on a scale of one to ten? I think I think they are high. I don't know one to ten. I think they are high. I think it helps that you've got Colleen Rowley, a retired FBI agent who has come out and called for clemency and says enough is enough. I think it's important to the administration that the U.S. attorney on the case, James Reynolds, has come out and called for clemency. The judge that heard the case on the Eighth Circuit before he died called for clemency. Uh, Colonel uh, Lawrence Wilkerson, a, a Republican who was the chief of staff for, for Colin Powell, calls for clemency. I think the voices um, are coming together to say enough is enough. And I think we have a president who is willing to listen I think we have an audience that's willing to set, that willing to listen to this transparency that Nick talked about earlier, that the FBI is made up of people, and they have human emotions, and they do things, you know, they are not above the law. When I was on the bench, we would give jury instructions to the jury, look, just because they have a badge doesn't mean they tell the truth, and they act in ways that are better than anybody else. And the, the country is willing to listen to that. I think the country is starting to come together and understand the treaty violations. They're starting to understand why AIM was there in the first place. They're starting to understand the horror of boarding schools, right, mm -hmm. of, which, of which Leonard was a victim. And all of that creates context for what happened that day. The Court of Appeals or, or uh, uh, Judge uh, 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 Haney who was okay. on the Court of Appeals, has said they've got to take responsibility. The government has to take responsibility for their role in this. It was a tragedy that happened that day. What we do know okay. is it wasn't Leonard Peltier who shot these men. But it still was All nevertheless right. a tragedy, along with Joe Stunts, who was killed that day. Somebody shot right. him in the head. No indication Absolutely. that he was a threat to anyone at that point. Absolutely, yeah. And thank you for, thank you for, for reminding us of that, Kevin, as well. Uh, there was a Native American... Uh, person that was killed in that shootout as well. Uh, Ed, I want to go back to you. Uh, we had the caller, Nick, talking about Colleen Raleigh, uh, saying the FBI has a vendetta against Peltier. I mean, that is a former FBI person who is speaking uh, against the FBI, against the FBI in support of Leonard Peltier. What's your response to that, Ed? Well, uh, I, I watched her um, YouTube interview, and all she did was admit that she had read um, uh, the decisions. I don't know how many decisions. I've also spoken to the case agent and uh, been in contact with the, the former U.S. Uh, assistant U.S. attorney. And Colleen Raleigh had nothing to do with the resumes or the, the reservation murders and the Peltier case. So she's offering her opinion, and you know, it's that's that's fine. I don't care. She could offer her opinion. But to get back to who fired the first shot. Um, there was an eyewitness, Kevin. Je uh, Ron Williams was on the radio describing exactly what was about to happen. They followed this vehicle, the red and white Suburban, onto the Jumping Bull property. They were, he said, uh, in the Rapid City office, they were listening to this. 
uh, other agents in the field heard him say they were getting out with rifles. They're going to start shooting. The shooting started. That's what started the shooting. Then uh, Ron Williams' last words were, I'm hit. All right. Now, this, there's another thing, too. There was, uh, and it's on the Peltier website. It's, it's a, uh, a film called Warrior, the Life of Leonard Peltier. And Dino Butler is filmed. He's, he's describing what's going on. He's pointing to the, okay. to the field where the, where the agents and the vehicles were and, and where the AIM people were shooting from. And just let me quote just this one list, one thing that he said, all right? No fire, okay, quickly, please. No fire was coming from them. I couldn't understand why they didn't just pull around and drive back out. All righty. Okay, Ed, thank you. I want to go ahead and, and bring back Ruth Buffalo. Ruth, I want to give you the, the final word here. We got about a minute before we have to wrap up. Earlier, I asked Paul this question. I'm going to ask you the same one. How do we collectively get to a place of common ground here? This issue, the Leonard Peltier case, continues to polarize after 50 years. What do we need to do as a people to heal? Free Leonard Peltier. Uh, it's just that it's that simple. Um, it's unfortunate that there is even bias within this this radio show. Unfortunately, we know that there are huge discrepancies in the FBI looking at cold cases of Native women. You know, it did this didn't MMIW did not get attention until Native women were in Congress to bring our voices front and center. So if the FBI cares so much about our missing and murdered Indigenous women, where are they? Where have they been all these years? So the, the writing's on the wall. We know there, this is continued injustice, and how we can get to a place of healing is, yes, free Leonard Peltier. What are they so afraid of? We know what they're afraid of. They're afraid of the truth. And the truth, to be told on decades, centuries, of how our people have treated in our own lands is quite tragic. MMIW continues, and where's the FBI? Why aren't they working hard enough to make sure that these cases are brought front and center? Again, it didn't t they didn't take action until we had two Native women in Congress to put our voices front and center. We know what's happening. We see this, the, the injustices on a daily basis, and we know there's huge bias within the, the criminal justice system, even within the lawyers that help. Alrighty, Ruth, I'm sorry, we are out of time, but I, I want to thank you as well as Kevin Sharp, Paul Domain, uh, and of course, Ruth Buffalo, who just wrapped us up. And I also want to recognize Ed Woods for providing insights. We're back again tomorrow to talk about businesses that deal fairly and ethically with Native artists. The question has come up after an offensive tirade by an Arizona gallery. The owner was captured on video. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. As people seek to know diverse cultures, tribal museums and cultural centers grow more popular. So the Institute of American Indian Arts, who support this show, now provides a Master of Fine Arts in Cultural Administration. Focused on social equity and support of cultural community growth, this program combines administrative tools and techniques with socially engaged leadership, blending institutional skills and community outreach programming. Deadline to apply is February 15 at iaia.edu slash mfaca. How Mitaki Piki? Think teeth. Medicaid and CHIP cover many children's dental services, including teeth cleanings, fluoride treatments, and fillings. For more information about children's dental health, 
Contact your Indian health care provider. Visit insurekidsnow.gov or call 877-543-7669. A message from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Oh, hit you at Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.